everybody, you're listening to your favorite web podcast in the entire world, one you want to share with everybody, retweet people, go rate and review and do all of those things for us to start 2020. This is the Drunken UX Podcast, and I am your host, Michael Feenan, and joining me this week for Season 3, Episode 2, or Episode number 54, depending on how you keep count, is the one and only Aaron Hill. Aaron, hey, how are you doing? Great, great to be on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to join us this week. We're going to be talking about HTML elements that you don't use nearly enough, and I hear that you are an absolute leading expert in this field. There are many things that I don't use very often. <laughs> I Like a razor, clearly. Uh, I don't know what's happening there. I'm an expert in not using things. <laughs> this week, uh, you can go thank our sponsors over at newcloud.com slash UX. They can uh, help you out with all of your interactive mapping needs. Uh, where else can they find us, Aaron? You should check us out on the Twitter and the Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX and on Instagram.com slash DrunkenUXpodcast and on DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Come chat with us. Let us know. Uh, jump on Twitter. Uh, there was just a tweet the other day, although it was maybe um, a few days ago by the time this releases. but. Uh, let us know what your favorite articles of 2019 were. Mm. Um, anything, anywhere, fair game. Just what what web development articles did you find especially useful, inspiring, um, educational? Uh, I'd love to hear what uh, what's going on in that area for you guys, because I know what I read. I have no idea what Aaron reads, but uh, I hope you you read something. <laughs> I I read I read some things. Books, books, the musical yeah. fruit. The more you eat, the more you drink apple cider, which is what I'm doing this evening. <laughs> Um, I've got a, a bottle of angry, I've got two bottles in front of me. One is angry orchard and one is Strongbow because I had some random leftovers and I debated maybe mixing them together, but then I didn't. So I'll just drink one back to back. <laughs> I've got, um, I've got some Kahlua here with some other stuff mixed in it. it Kahlua a with a, a splash of coffee. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's some coffee in here too. Um, we, my, uh, liquor cabinet's pretty cleared out after the holidays, so. Oh, yeah, fair point. Yeah. Um, I'm actually getting ready to try something that came up in a, one of those Google article recommendations, and I'm probably gonna regret it, but it's called a, uh, a smoky cokey. What? Which is, uh, and, and if it works out that it's good, I'll drink it on the show for everybody. Okay. If it works out that it's terrible, I still may drink it on the show for everybody. <laughs> it's technically alcohol. <laughs> it's Coke with. Okay. Lagavulin 16. Why would you do that to Lagavulin 16? <laughs> because apparently it's incredibly good. And I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, you know what? Those... I have, I have Lagavulin 16 upstairs. All right. You do it first. I'll do it first and let and me be the guinea pig. And you can either say it's good or you can lie and say it's good. So, supposedly then... it's good. And I'm, I'm not a purist. I'm not one of those folks who's like, if you don't drink your scotch neat, you're not drinking it right. <laughs> like, you drink your scotch the way you want to drink it. And, Trying a little something different is not above me, so uh, I want to. I want to do it. I am open. Uh, let's. All right. Next show, we'll both have a smoky cokey. Okay, I, I'm down for that. Challenge accepted. 
Uh, you, you hear the news coming out of the Googleverse this week? They're shutting down another service that I love? Um, kind of, but hate. They're going to okay. be shutting down something you hate, quite frankly. Okay. All right. The the news on the wire, and uh, we'll have a link to the article from The Verge on this, but there, of course, are many others if you want to go looking. Um, Google has decided to follow step with Safari and Firefox, and they have said, you know what? Uh, we're not going to fight the fight anymore, and we're going to uh, start blocking third-party cookies. So does that mean like Facebook beacon tracking, like that right. kind of thing? Like okay. anything. And so for folks who, if you're not familiar, um, there are first-party cookies, there are third-party cookies. There right. are technically second-party cookies, but it's a super weird thing that doesn't really exist and is more of just what people call selling data back and forth. It's weird. What about after-party cookies? Uh, those are the ones that I like. Those are not legal in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> the a first party cookie is basically any cookie your site sets. Uh, for instance, cookie compliance, because uh, we sure. have to, we've got to have a cookie compliance uh, notation. So we set a cookie to tell us whether or not they want cookies. Uh, those are first party cookies. Third party cookies are cookies set by anybody else. So if you've okay. got your Facebook beacon, and that sets up a, a face, a, you know, star.facebook.com tracking cookie, that's a third-party cookie. So Firefox has been doing this for a while now. They, they mm -hmm. started doing this back in September, and they had been testing it for quite a while before that. Safari um, I, I switched to Firefox it. specifically for that reason. The Facebook container thing is awesome. I, you and I, I think, have talked about this a little bit mm -hmm. before, and I have also, um, I've officially, I've been using Firefox pretty exclusively for the last several weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but I did finally click the button that says, okay, um, yeah, make it my default. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Safari did this as well. I don't know off the top of my head when they did it, but I think it was around the same time as Firefox. They're getting together and they've said, you know, that's what has Firefox literally been positioning itself as? They want to be the privacy-forward browser mm -hmm. for people. Right. So Google has decided... Five months later, that it's time for them to get into the game. The wild part is, whereas Facebook or uh, Far, sorry, Far, Firefox said, "Okay, we're done. We've tested it for a while, and we're shutting them off." Google's like, "Yeah, cool. We want a piece of that, <laughs> but give us two years." <laughs> yeah, like okay. Um, in the meantime, I'm gonna keep using Firefox. <laughs> It's, it does feel like they're a bit late to the party. Well, I mean, admittedly so, right? Because they're waist deep in advertising and tracking. And, like, yeah. you know, when you talk about, okay, we're going to start blocking third-party cookies, you're really talking about one of Google's primary, you know, integral revenue pieces. Do you, do you think that this is one of those things like, um, you know, like when like the banks are really silent about like in the, the 2008 crash, they were like super silent about like mortgages being bad until they had figured out how to like come out on top. And then they're like, oh, yeah, mortgages are awful. Don't don't do these. Do you think it's like that where Google's figured out like, OK, we know how to keep making our money. So like now we're going to shut down these third party tracking cookies. Right. So there's a quote from the Verge article that I think answers this absolutely perfectly it says mm -hmm. in in those cookies place google is hoping that it can institute a new set of technical solutions 
for various things that cookies are currently used for. Ah, uh, okay. So basically what they're saying is give us two years to make something that'll do this but isn't a cookie. Right. Okay. Because that's what consumers want. Do but do they do they though? Do they want that? Yeah, maybe not. I'm gonna go out <laughs> on a limb and say that that is not our priority. <laughs> there are Google's not the only one trying to do this. Apparently, there's right. a handful of folks who are all trying to come up with new solutions. Uh, if you read the article from The Verge and and the announcement from Google. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea, at least, is to do something that is more uh, sandboxed, so to speak. Okay. Uh, so you have maybe control over what you want to be shared um, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But I still feel like you're putting a lot of technical burden on users to even know how to do that or what those things mean or what allowing certain data is really allowing. Yeah. I I get it. And, of, of course, Google wants to say, yeah, okay, we're going to block third-party cookies, but give us something, you know, throw us a bone, let we – Tracking because I right tracking's integral to marketing, right? Right. You, you have to be able to track to know that what you're doing is good, and you don't need the kind of aggressive tracking that is done today to get that information, right? So what's the answer to reining it in? I don't know, but it's at the same time it's yeah it's it's tough. It seems like I mean the easiest way to do like marketing tracking and things is doing like with cookies and like, that's like the uh, like, Oh, you want cheap labor, just pay people less kind of thing. Like it's, it's the easy way to get around it, but I, it's gotta be a better way for marketing to track conversions and whatnot other than using cookies or at least not violating privacy. And I feel like there's too many ways to do an end around on it anyway. Mm -hmm. Like folks say, Okay, um, we can't do third-party cookies anymore, so install this WordPress plugin. You'll set a first-party cookie, but then the WordPress backend will make the call to just send the data directly to it. Like, there's there are so many technical ways to get around this, right? That I feel like it maybe it's it's a a, it's like email spam, right? The the horse is out of the gates, you know, down the road into the neighbor's pond. And eating all the fish. Is that what horses do? I don't know. I've never ridden a horse. Um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him eat the fish. Yeah. The saying? I, something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, don't you feel like there's kind of that problem? Or here's, you know, what a lot of people did early on with all the cookie compliance stuff. They're like, oh, we can't mm-hmm. set cookies anymore. Oh, you mean we're supposed to get consent to set cookies? Okay. We'll stop setting cookies. We'll use local storage. Right. It's yeah. Like, no. You a yes. You maybe technically could have done that early on uh, under original interpretations of the law, but you were absolutely violating the spirit of the law. <laughs> Since then, it has been revised. Um, you know, the cookie compliance stuff for EU is any. It's tracking data related. It's not explicit to the technology. So, right. I don't know. Uh, but it's good information. Basically, I you know I think we we are watching the death of third party cookies live in front of us. Hooray! It, I it, that's that that gets Yay. a clap. That's applause worthy. Um, I'm okay with that, and we'll find better ways to get our data. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that.
Okay. I want to talk about HTML elements you don't use. Uh, this is one of those silly kind of, yeah, here are a bunch of things you don't use enough. These, I think, are genuinely good tags. I think they are genuinely not used enough. And I think they are things you can immediately apply. There are a lot of HTML elements when you start going mm -hmm. out there and, and reading. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, do you know do you know what the TT tag is? Not not touch type. Um, Close. It's not not table. It's something with type, right? Yeah, teletype. Something te teletype, right? It's, yeah, it's it's for teletype. That's, that's the the thing like TDD when you're calling. Te technically, and I I should mention I pulled that one out because I've been thinking about accessibility a lot. Teletype is no longer supported in HTML5. You shouldn't be using it anyway. But oh, uh, that's well, that's shit, man. I know I'm <laughs> totally off my game. But here's one. How about Ruby? You know, there's a Ruby tag. What? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. No way. Absolutely. Wait, for Ruby annotation. It it's you, a, so it's not, it, no, no, but it, it's <laughs> not for Ruby code of in any oh. sort. Um, it's got to do with uh, characters that need like pronunciation information um, and how those like are aligned oh. to each other. So the, the markup's really weird and I've legitimately never seen it in practice. And it's usually used for things like, uh, um, like kanji characters and things like that to yeah. include pronunciation information with them or you know if, huh. uh, like cyrillic you could you i could see it used in cyrillic notation but okay i mean there i i don't know even how many there are off the top of my head but you know there, there's probably a hundred html tags and we use 10 of them regularly i and it's it's crazy when you read the like the w3 like official spec document I, when i was doing that for some accessibility stuff there's just like so many, I mean, attributes and everything else. And, you know, then the, the HTML5 introduces a whole bunch of new tags. Yeah. And there, there's just, there's a lot there that we don't use. And we're not going to by any means go through all of like the ones that could be useful. Progress is, I think, a useful one. Meter um, is a useful mm -hmm. one. Um, just off the top of my head, things like uh, Mark. What's the support like for these? Like, are, does every browser support all of the like all of the tags? Uh, not equally no okay. uh so like there's one for instance that has been cropping up in people's lists called dialogue okay dialogue is uh, uh obviously it's for dialogue pop-ups for like modal pop-ups things like that and so yeah. people are really excited to say hey we can we actually have an element now that we can start using to properly mark up dialogue elements but Support for it, for instance, Edge does support it, but Firefox doesn't. Only an experimental okay. Safari doesn't. Um, now the it's ones funny that it's funny that Edge supports something that well, other ones don't. <laughs> do you know? You want to know why Edge supports it? Because they asked for it. Because WebKit. Oh, okay. Ed Edge up to version eighteen doesn't support it, but now that they're on oh. WebKit, they do. So nice. Yeah. So thank Chrome for that. <laughs> um, thank, Google, thank Google for that. Um, so yeah, there are do look like if you see a tag that's like, wow, that that looks like it's exactly what I need. Make sure mm -hmm. you check compatibility on it because if you don't see it very often, there may well be a reason. The ones we're right. going to be talking about, pretty much across the board, you can use today across all major browsers, <laughs> and they're not going to be silly ones like small <laughs> or something like that. Um, right. every, everybody's heard of small and people maybe don't use it because you don't have a reason to. Um, There's also big too, isn't there? I remember that. There yeah. is in fact a big. Uh, not supported in HTML5. 
Yeah, I remember being. I remember hearing. I think from Tatiana Mac actually. She was talking about how you shouldn't use the big tag because it's. Uh, oh, there's some semantic reasons. I would love to know. I I, I want to go look up the like the mailing list debates that had to have taken place. Mm-hmm. It says we can have a small tag, but we can't have a big tag. Like that feels. <laughs> Very weirdly arbitrary, but okay. Yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> there are a lot of these tags can be tags that you could say, you know what, why would I use them? Uh, I understand the use, but what's the point? So right. this is the semantics matter argument. And <laughs> we talk about this a lot in many contexts. It's like, well, why would I use you know, a header tag when I can just wrap it in a div? Well, because right. a header has semantic meaning. Right. But what does that mean, right? HTML, the M in HTML stands for markup, and markup is context. That context applies to the reader, but it also applies to all of the machines out there, which Mm -hmm. may be scraping and reading and trying to interpret your information. So how you mark it up really matters in terms of conveying that information and applying that context. Right. The the easy and most obvious one is header, right? Header, footer. Why are those so important? Because it helps Google know exactly where the top and bottom repeated elements of your page are so that it mm-hmm. doesn't try to accidentally index them as content, right? Right. I mean, how many times have you seen sites where it's like the meta description ends up being the menu of the site? <laughs> It it doesn't happen much anymore because Google has gotten pretty good at figuring some of that out on its own, but it absolutely used to be a problem back in the day where it was like the first text it encountered was what it used to start generating a meta description. So, (laughs) you know, you can't rely on Google to fix that on their end every time, though, because they will get it wrong. There's an article from Elizabeth Sakis. Sakis? Sakis? Mm -hmm over on medium that will have linked and she's she breaks this down and and there'll be a, I'll have like two or three articles in the show notes about uh, html semantics but um she the way she puts it is like if if on your page you put your mm. page title in an h1 instead of a p tag right. then google knows it's a header your screen readers know it's a header everything knows that that's the name of the page but if you put everything inside a p tag then it's just content to the to the crawler at that yeah. point. Um, and you have no guarantee that that's going to get called out so that when your page shows up in results, it has the title it should have. I, I know we constantly harp on this from accessibility and everything, but I, the good, the good reason to do this semantic tags correctly is, you know, screen readers, accessibility, and just being a good internet citizen. The selfish reason is it helps your SEO and it helps, other machines like consume your your page correctly absolutely but you know maybe don't be a jerk (laughs) well and it actually saves you some work in the long run right because you know when we talk about accessibility we've talked a lot about roles roles Mm -hmm. are an attribute that you can put on an html element like a div to say you know role navigation so Mm -hmm. then a screen reader would know oh this chunk of content is navigation and i will treat it accordingly yeah, we used to use those a lot with HTML4 because we didn't have a lot of other elements that could fill that uh, void. Mm-hmm. But now we have tags like main, we have article, and we have 
a tag like nav. If you use the nav element to wrap your navigation, there's no reason to put an aria role on it because the role is implicit in that spec. Right. So by improving the semantics, you are inherently improving the accessibility of your document without doing any extra work or needing to think, well, okay, I'm going to put these attributes on it or whatever. Just use the right yeah. element and you've got the right thing happening. The the role tag, is, the, the role attribute, I mean, is a really, I, I think, underutilized property. I, I mean, I do see it used for navigation or um, menu. Is that it? Role menu is menu? one. Yeah. I, I've seen it used for both of those. and um, But I'm sure there's other values you can put in there too oh yeah um, it's, there's a yeah there's a huge list of them is it you know an alert is it a banner mm -hmm. you know is, is yeah. it a, a tab panel tab panels right that we don't use tab nearly panel. enough yeah seo you mentioned and brought up that's another one that good markup is good seo right mm -hmm. if you've got two pages side by side that have similar content to them and one is nothing but e tags and yeah. maybe an H1, but the other page has an H1, has P tags, but then they've got block quotes marked up. They've got figures mm -hmm. marked up. They've got a lot more semantic meaning to the stuff in the document. You have inherently yeah. made something that is going to rank higher in a search engine if you're competing with other stuff. Yeah. Now, this does imply that you are using these elements correctly and using them in a way that is meaningfully applied to whatever it is you're creating and not just like, you know, throwing a block quote around something because you like the way it indents, <laughs> you know, that's. Oh, that's the worst. I, I would see that a lot with, um, remember Contribute? It was Macromedia Contribute. Unfortunately, and I have nightmares about Contribute still. <laughs> so uh, something that I, I really commonly saw was when we would give our editors uh, and, and all these people, I, I mean, nothing badly to them. I know they were just doing the best they can with the tools that they were given. I'm sorry we had to give them this tool. I, I already know where you're going with it. <laughs> yeah. But, like, we would occasionally see... They would use headings. They would use whatever heading looked like what they wanted it to look like. Yep. So they'd be using <laughs> uh, kind of, like, designing from the content editor. Yep. Which is not the behavior you want. Um, and, thankfully, you can disable that and let them just use, like, a special style sheet, which is what we ended up doing. It, that's just a hard one when, when people... When you have presentation difference in these elements and people don't know like they don't they don't know how to play with fire correctly basically yeah because where i'm going with that and someday we're going to find a good solution to that problem and i do not have one today <laughs> though if you yeah. found something really successful in that area i would love to hear about it and hit us <laughs> with the uh, either on twitter or the contact form or something and come talk to us because i'd love to have you on the show um <laughs> element number one this is one of the most immediately useful, I think, although all of these will have uh, their place, is the address tag. Okay, so I, I know we've talked about this before on the show. I remember it being something about how you're, you're not supposed to use it for anything except contact information, right? Right. Is, it's like really, it was weirdly specific. Yeah, and I'm going to include a, a link in the show notes to the, mm -hmm. the W3 spec on this because it has changed. Okay. It may and maybe the reason this is confusing, I'd have to go back and double check the exact spec. Maybe when HTML5 first came out, it was this way, yeah. and it has since changed for either dot one or dot two. But the the reason folks get confused about this is the address element was originally meant to only convey the contact information 
for the body of the page it was on. So, huh. like, if you were referencing, you know, uh, what is it, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for the White House. Yeah. If you were using the address element for that in an article you were writing, telling people where to send stuff, that was an incorrect usage of the address element because that address isn't the contact information for your page. It's for something else. Weird. That has changed, and now it can be used to mark up any contact information on a page. And don't at me, because I read... <laughs> I went back and forth and double-checked on this, because I was reading some articles from, like, 2013 on some of these elements, and 2018 and all of this, and I was getting the conflicting information. That's why I will specifically include the spec on it. You can use address to mark up any meaningful address on a page now. Uh, huh. The funny part is it goes further because it's not just address. It's actually encapsulation for any contact information. That's where this thing gets really powerful. What? Wait, and any contact information? Right. So what's what's your Twitter handle? Tell the tell the world so they can at you. Oh, it's um at Armahillo. Armahillo. So you can yes. you can at him. I don't know why I'm stuck on this don't at me, bro. Uh, <laughs> don't at me. Uh, it, if you have on a page, I'm you know I'm Aaron Hill. Find me on Twitter at Armahillo. You can wrap that in an address tag, huh? And if you don't believe me, again, look at the spec. They literally have an example of it in in the spec for it. So it's, it's wild. It's you know if you have contact information on your site for your company, if you have offices that are scattered around that you need people to be able to find if it's if you're noting drop-off locations or event locations use that address tag to mark that up you can also if you want to get real crazy go mm -hmm. go look up h card um on like something like on either microformats.org or schema.org or whatever um you can card h card either and it, you can do it with an h card you can do it with just straight rdfa uh, what it does oh, is... Oh, I know RDF. Yeah, yeah, it gives you some extra attributes um, or class names okay. that you can apply inside the element to give it yeah. even more semantic meaning so you can identify the street name, you know, the municipality, zip code, or postal code, rather. Okay. Um, all of these... Okay. There's all of these different little properties you can add to it, so now it's not just an address, but it's an address for a place with a specific, you know, way to parse it, which, again adds seo value if i type in cool. what is the address of you know your pizza place uh, llc i'm that right. much more likely to get your address because google looks at it and says oh there's an address tag not only that it's telling me the street address in the city and state and, and postal code and boom here you go this isn't strictly on topic but it is relevant um our mutual friend jason woodward did a whole lot of digging into the whole world of rdf and that's really cool stuff uh, if you're unfamiliar with rdf there's a lot of really amazing things you can do with it to make the web and web content more machine readable so yeah it's just if check it out if you're unfamiliar with it or if it's you haven't heard the term before take a look next element kbd okay i i'm guessing it stands for keyboard yes but i'm not sure why you've never used it no, I have never used the KBD. Have you ever built anything that had keyboard controls associated with it? Sure. I would usually use um, site or code 
or I, which I know is like, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, bad per this this episode. So have you you've made like maybe a a photo gallery or something at some point. <laughs> and used an order request for the items. Yeah, well, but and used like you know key mapping so you could click you know the forward arrow or back arrow. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, and if you want some examples of this, like if you go to YouTube or Slack, um, they both have things and you know any kind of media stuff usually has an area for keyboard shortcuts, and you can click it and get mm-hmm. a list of all of these keyboard shortcuts that you didn't even know existed. Um, okay. Things that help you, you know, play content, pause, skip, do all of that. Um, shortcuts in Gmail. Gmail's got a whole keyboard shortcut uh, section. Now, I'm going to throw one caveat out here because I thought it was hilarious. I did check YouTube okay. and I did check Slack specifically for this uh, reference. Neither one of them actually use this markup, and I have no idea why <laughs> because it's such an easy thing to do. But. The way uh, the way MDN describes it, KBD represents a span of inline text denoting textual user input from a keyboard, voice input, or any other text input device. Okay. So what they're saying is, it's just a way to say, when I tell you to hit the control key, I can mark it up so that control actually looks different from everything else, so you know I'm indicating a command you can oh, make. Oh, okay. So similar to how, like, you would use, like, the code tag or the pre-tag or something. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, in Got fact, it. it's very similar to the code tag, especially its default rendering in most browsers. Um, it yeah. is an inline tag. Uh, the best usages usually will take it and, like, give it a little bit of a border and maybe a hair of a drop, drop shadow. Kind of make it look like a, a button, but not like a, you know, a, a styled button. Sure. But it's a good way if you do anything where you have keyboard controls and you need to convey that to the user, this is a great semantic way to tell them, tell their screen reader uh, that mm-hmm. you can hit the you know the right arrow and it'll go to the next item. You know, if, uh, the classic example, right? If you need to get task manager open, hit control, alt, delete. Well, right. control, alt, and delete can be wrapped in a, a KBD tag to indicate, like, I'm telling you to hit keys on your keyboard for this. That is something that, I, you know, I like a lot from a, a usability standpoint and a semantic standpoint to do something that, yeah, you would otherwise use a pre-tag or a code tag, which aren't technically right. So this right. this is meant to do the exact thing that you're doing there. Maybe less huh. widely, you know, needed. Most people aren't going to be out there building huge, like, keyboard shortcut pages, but... Right. You know, if you've made that slideshow, you can add those in. Yeah. If you're a tutorial site that, you know, that talks, you know, about a game. Yeah. And you've got all these tutorials that have all of this markup and, and markup keyboard commands and stuff. You're very likely to get rated higher than the tutorial site that does none of that. Because when Google right. weighs those two pages, if they see similar content, they're going to look at yours and be like, oh, we see them talking about, you know, this kind of content and they're using the KBD markup. So they're clearly conveying more meaning to the user. Right. Again, this is me kind of looking inside Google in a way that I can't, but that is certainly the expectation and ideal. And it makes it easier. That makes sense. It makes it easier down the road. You know, if you are building a web application that does need a lot of keyboard controls, 
-hmm. if your keyboard controls change down the road, it makes it a whole lot easier to find them in your documentation rather than trying to search for span tags. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this just just gives it that much more meaning and improves your maintenance. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Next one. This one is actually surprisingly unused is just the letter Q. Letter Q. Not John Delancey. Uh, it doesn't, you know, doesn't turn you into a mariachi band on the bridge of the enterprise <laughs> although that would be awesome fun fact i've been in or, an elevator with john delancey twice oh or uh dame judy dench ready to oh yeah or no she wasn't q no it was um no was it martin freeman who was who no was morgan q morgan during... freeman was batman's q no, no no martin martin freeman the guy who played the um no that's what i'm thinking of uh <laughs> oh john cleese was q at one point wasn't he i don't know Chris i kind of hate 007 Okay. Uh, well, anyways, <laughs> not that cute. Double, obligatory double yeah, seven. Yes, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, Q stands for quote, which you might then like say block quote. Yeah, you might say, well, don't you mean block quote? No, I do not. Block quote is a block quote. It is literally a block of quote that you pull out of of your text. It is a block level okay. element. Q is just an inline quote. So, oh, if you so it's like div versus span, right? So if you are oh. just writing, you know, and and then he said, type Q on your keyboard, right? And you put that in little quotes. That would just be so a it's, Q. It's like when you do when you're on Slack and you do single back ticks to like wrap something versus triple back ticks, right? Like it, in Markdown, it's just a way to convey like if you've got some because a, a block quote is ultimately a call out, right? Like you are right. you are taking whatever is being said and usually it's a little bit longer, not always. Yeah. It can be one line, but normally a block quote is a call out in your text. So it's right. it, it is it is an interruption in the flow in whatever you are writing to say this is an important quotation. But we write things constantly where we're just doing the, you know, he he said, she said, you know, the machine, mm -hmm. the error said, whatever. And it's just a line or something that we're conveying. Using Q lets you mark it up in inline text without it having to disrupt the flow of that text. Um, and yeah. you can also apply a site element to it. So it will okay. generally use, my understanding is that's the, either the closest sibling citation. So it's not inside the Q. It's either before or after it. Uh, or you can add a site attribute to the element. So if you're quoting something from a web page, for instance, you could include a site element on the queue that includes that uh, that citation URL. Okay. All right. So it's it's just a nice, clean way to do a quote. And again, add semantic meaning and show yeah. that, you know, oh, this is something that was said by somebody else. And then Google knows, oh, this is a reference to something else. And again, when you talk about, you know, that classic thinking that, oh, if I need my pages to rank well on Google, I need backlinks. And, <laughs> right. and backlinks were quickly gained and things like that. And so the value of them has decreased rapidly. But using yeah. things like, you know, citations with links in them is mm -hmm. kind of a, a, another way to get some weight out of that that's not necessarily being abused at this point anyway. Yeah. And I'm not saying Google absolutely does use those uh, in page ranking. I don't know. Nobody really does, but it certainly can't hurt. How about time? 
I have used a time tag before. Excellent. Um, I used it. I've seen it used in various WordPress themes, um, like in the footer.php. I've, I've also used it myself. Um, I can't remember where. Just usually just as um, just for regular time markup. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what it is. It's for time markup. Every time you've ever seen a post date on a blog post or you've looked at an events calendar, uh, any of those are opportunities to actually write it up with a time element so that, mm-hmm. again, from especially from a machine standpoint, that can be really useful for things like Google or even Facebook, uh, you know, picking up when something is supposed to be when you're sharing links around. Um, this makes it machine readable and you can then use that even internally. Like if you've got an internal system that keeps track of events or something and mm-hmm. you're writing up a blog post, the, the classic example is you could say something like, we look forward to seeing you next Monday, but you can wrap next Monday in a time element and give it an explicit timestamp so that next Monday literally it's means... It refers to an actual date. Yeah, it, it literally refers oh, to cool. January 27th. Okay, that's cool. Our CMS, so a good example of this, our CMS at work actually has an element, uh, or not an element, uh, a date method that gives okay. you, uh, I think it's called pretty date or pretty date text or something like that. So you feed it a date object and then it will spit out something like, you know, this post was post or this this blog post was was uh published three minutes ago or five days yeah. ago or one week ago and then it'll start I think going that's the context i've seen yeah and then it'll start going yeah. to just like a normal date beyond that but like it, right. in that short term time span it calculates kind of a pretty version of the date sure so this gives you a way to wrap things like that and say this is you know what that vague reference actually refers to Mm-hmm. There is a there is a date format uh, that is in the spec that you can go look up in the show notes. It's basically year, month, day, hour, minute, seconds, and then a time zone offset if necessary. Okay. So it's it's pretty straightforward as far as how to use it. The really cool thing about it, though, is it does more than that. It actually will support um like a week notation. So you can tell it like the 14th week of the month is something or huh. the 14th week of the month. I'm, <laughs> I am not even one sider into this show. The 14th week of the year, um, you can give it. Okay. You can, oh, yeah. 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 You can feed it durations. Uh, so, you know, from X to Y or five hours long or something like that. So it actually supports an array of formatting to convey time information to a machine. Huh perfect for any kind, anything that you publish that you want the publish date on anything that you're scheduling whether that's events or screencast of something a webcast that you're doing um, time is a good one because we use time notation so many places yeah we do so it's a good opportunity to just add a lot more meaning to those uh, to those pieces I like I, I basically I think any place you're using any kind of um time even if you're spelled out completely i think it would still be good to wrap it in a time tag yeah absolutely and again because the the thing i always go back to is i'm always thinking about the maintenance you have to do not tomorrow mm-hmm. but in three years so let's right. let's say in three years something comes up and you're going to switch content management systems you're going to switch from 
Magnolia to Adobe Expression Engine. And so yeah. you've got to move all this stuff over. If you've started marking up your content semantically like this, you're making it really easy for yourself to write scripts that can help, you know, port content from one system to another or, you know, translate like if you want your say say you want your date format to change. Maybe you're using mm -hmm. American style dates um or you start like let's let's say for instance you're a US based developer and you work on all this okay. stuff and you put in US style dates so we're talking month day year right and your client is in the EU and after you've released everything they say oh yeah uh by the way we need to change <laughs> the date on those 300 articles that you posted now yeah, this isn't going to work yeah now <laughs> since you've got it marked up with an, a proper time element you've made it really easy on yourself to write a script that can go through there, crawl them, right. pull the date time out, and just rewrite it in the format they want to have it written in. Or just <laughs> do that naturally. You could do that if your visitor is a European visitor. Use a little JavaScript to detect the time element and format your published dates for wherever your user's coming from. You know, talk about a little bit of, like, micro UX there. Um, but yeah. it's... It just is really easy to start thinking about how good semantics it promotes good maintenance. Well, if there was even if there was a like if you you could write a browser plugin that would look for all of the like all of the individual times that the time tag shows up on a page and then convert it to your current time zone. Yeah. Or like whatever format you prefer to have. Well, the the classic example there that I, I used to use a lot was um, a plugin that could extract micro formats out of a page. Mm. And so, like yeah. right when stuff like HCard uh, specifically was getting really popular, you could have a, a little mm -hmm. button in your uh, status bar that you could click. It would extract all the micro format data out of the page, and you could see, you know, what the author or who the author was, where their business is what their contact information right. was, anything at all that they had marked up in a, you know, an identified microformat. Um, microformats are something we'll, we'll talk about in another episode, um, but it's just additional semantics, basically, that you can add to pages. Yeah. Um, the next one, WBR. So here's a weird one that... WBR. WBR is... What, what white break, white space break, uh, white... Is it white blue ribbon? No, you were much closer the first time. Wabst, wabst blue ribbon. Uh, it's something to do with beer. Word break opportunity. I don't know why they left the O out of that. Um, WBR word break opportunity. So this is if you are really uh, picky about writing, and or you have mm -hmm. uh, you know marketing folks who, and this this is a thing. Like it, there are people who really you know they're picky about the way orphans may fall on a page, or you know they're they want. Like their their text is part of their design, and so they mm -hmm. care about how the content breaks. Using these tags lets you wrap really long strings to define where they should break at. So, oh, think, think about a word like that's cool. extraordinary, right? Yeah, the right place to break the word extraordinary after the X is exactly after. Actually, it's most people in <laughs> after the Y. If you're it's after the Y, if you're in the UK, <laughs> it's after the X. If you're in the US, it's after the T. I mean, that's just, everybody knows. It. No, uh, normally you would break it after extra and and then wrap the ordinary to the next line and, and hyphenate and all that. But 
if your container, and this is really important for responsive design, if your container shrinks down, one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to break it automatically without any care for the word, or it's just mm-hmm. going to overflow its container. So Okay, right. So this gives you an option to say, you know what, no, this word, we want it to break here. A better use case, though, a better use case can be things like URLs. So if, you, okay. if you're printing out URLs onto the page uh, for something, you could have yeah. it specifically break at a slash to make it read easier or something like that. Because URLs can be very long. Oh, yeah. So okay. it gives you another way to mark it up. And the thing about WBR is it doesn't copy. So if you are copying text out of a paragraph, you don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't give you any extra stuff. Where this matters, and the reason I bring that up is there are other ways to hyphenate content. You can use CSS hyphens. That is an option, and you're going to let the the machine decide where to hyphenate that word at. You can also use the shy guy technique. That's there's a okay. Like what? What about Super Mario Brothers two? <laughs> and <laughs> so the shy guy technique is a an, a zero width character. It's ampersand shy colon so it's shy is okay. short for short hyphen oh you, that's bullshit it hey i didn't write <laughs> and i don't know anybody else that refers to it as shy guy except me because uh, it's how i remember it it's it's mine it's, yeah. it's my pneumatic device the if you put uh, the shy character in it mm-hmm. will wrap pretty it'll give you the hyphen problem being it does copy out of some browser so if you copy and pasted you would copy the hyphen with it so so all of these things have trade-offs all of them are give and take wbr gives you a lot of control but like so for instance the reason it's hard is because it breaks at the beginning of the tag not the end so you can't style it with like after content Okay. okay that's that's the challenge to using that um but you get good control over the readability CSS hyphens right. lets you hyphenate, but gives you no control over where in the word it's going to break at. Shy gives you control, but it can copy out. So use these at your own risk. Test them to make sure they work the way you want. But WBR is one that can give you a lot of control so that browsers don't just do it opportuni- – or rather, browsers do do it opportunistically, not programmatically. So – just so that I'm clear, with WBR, is it like a a singleton tag? No, like you just like you use it like the break tag. No, it is it is a wrapper. So would you wrap it like in the word, um, like if you're doing a URL and you wanted the break opportunity to happen after the domain like dot com, right? Would you then wrap the f- the right you put it right after the M and com until the end of the URL? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you you wrap the thing with which you want it to break, and then if it's still too okay. long, then you know the browser will take over and do whatever you know it thinks is right. But uh, yeah, it is not okay. it is not singleton uh, because you can have okay. multiple like in a URL, you may actually do several of them. So I okay. I don't entirely know why that's the case because it it seems like it would make sense to do it like a normal br tag would be done, right? But, yeah, you just put it right wherever you want the thing to be. Now, I haven't tested it with other browsers. You may be able to get away 
with using it like a singleton, and it may the browser may interpret it correctly, but that's not the advised usage. So that's that's what I'll say about that. Okay, we're almost into the final stretch here. The next one is picture. Picture, I, uh, I have used. I've, I've used picture and figure before. Yeah. Picture was in like a gallery where it was like the picture was an actual content element um, and not just like an image. Right. Like for illustration. And what about like audio or video? Have you used them? I have. I, I've used video with a JavaScript library that would turn it into a player. Um, and I've used audio with something similar. I think it might have been like a SoundCloud embed or yeah. something. So picture is basically the image version of like a video or audio tag. Okay. It's an image okay. tag, but smarter. And where it really uh, shows off its strength is with responsive images. This is one of those areas, right, that oh. people have been frustrated with responsive imagery for years, right? We've right. done JavaScript replaces. We've used third-party services. We've done all of this stuff trying to figure out how to get the right image to show up at the right sizes. And yeah. it gets especially nasty, right, on, like, really small devices where it's not just that you want to show a scaled down version or a lower res version, but you maybe want to show a mm -hmm. differently cropped version of an image. Right. Okay. So that's what picture allows inside the picture tag. You define sources uh, just like you would with an audio tag. And each source has a, a URI in it for whatever image you're trying to pull. And you include okay. uh, a media query with it. And so you can say, okay. if your, you know, if your min width is twelve eighty, then we're gonna show the big yeah. picture. If our min width is, uh, you know, three twenty, we're gonna show the really tiny one. Right. And you can still include a normal image tag at the end of that, which is then the failsafe. So if the right. As far as I know, picture is just like all the rest of these. Like it's it's supported across the board from a browser standpoint. But if somebody right. was using IE eleven and it didn't work, that's fine. It's going to ignore the picture tag. It's going to ignore the source tags, and it's just going to render the image tag. So it okay. it should degrade gracefully in in pretty much all cases. But this gives you that way to have real control, fine grained control over what images show for different sizes and different media queries. Nice. Super useful for blog headers, uh, super useful for any kind of hero image, anything where that control is valued, basically. Yeah. Cool. Um, next up is the last big one that we'll talk about, uh, which is template. This okay. So full disclosure, like you explained this to me before the show, during when we're going over the show notes. This I think it might be my favorite of all of them, and and I barely let it make the cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's such a neat thing. Like I remember when I was back when I was first running Ajax, it was, you know, you make like a little snippet of HTML, then you like kind of reuse that. Like it could be like a form, maybe like a row in a form. If it's a repeating yeah. element or maybe it's just like a the, the classic a, to do list display. item. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, you'd have to make up use jQuery to make up like a, a fake element instance of it. Um, but that's like 
it always felt wrong. Like it's a bad separation of concerns to put your HTML into your JavaScript. And you can at me all day long. I will go toe to toe with you because <laughs> I think it's bad. Don't do it. Um, this is cool. I like this. So the reason that this sounds weird and, and why Aaron's driving at this sort of conflict is the template tag is meant to contain any additional arbitrary HTML it is parsed by the DOM, but it is not rendered to the page. So mm-hmm. it is completely and totally hidden. Mm-hmm. The issue basically comes down to, and the reason why this is kind of funky is, do you, and, and this is, it's, it's totally workflow related, I think, and it's, it all comes down to your mm-hmm. style. Do you okay. want to write your HTML elements in JavaScript and have all of that, you know, use template literals and do all that there in React and, and whatever? Or do you define a template piece in your page that's it is rendered to the HTML in your page, you just don't see it in the page, but then you just reference that from your JavaScript and say, call this element and then do a clone node on it, and you can keep cloning mm-hmm. it all you want to at that point, and it, it's the basis for the rest of your elements. See, I think the latter is the right way. That's that's my opinion in my 20 years of experience doing yeah. web development professionally. I mean, that, that's what it's for. And you can you, yeah. once you've cloned that node, you can add stuff to it. You know, if it's a to-do list item, it's got the basic, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just a UL that you're adding LIs to, each LI maybe has a class name on it or something and a button inside mm-hmm. of it for, you know, whether it's been done or not. And then you clone the node, you add your text to it, and then you render it to the page. And you can, and that's static HTML that's there for you that's immutable. That's the real word. Uh, the, right. the template tag, I believe, is if, and I'm going to get this wrong maybe, but it should be read-only um, if my memory is correct on it. So like, you can't even use JavaScript to necessarily change it. So the question that I have is, like, you know sometimes you'll have, uh, elements that are supposed to not be read by the browser or like this supposed to not be read by screen readers, but then the screen readers are like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and read them anyways. Is this the same kind of, like, is there a possibility of that? Like, are they going to read template tag? That's a good question that off the top of my head I was not prepared for. No, no. I, I do know for a fact read aloud won't read it. Okay. I know that for a fact. If it's a browser-based screen reader, I would presume the answer is absolutely no, it won't. Because if it's if it okay. is a browser-based screen reader, then it is reading the page as interpreted by WebKit or or whatever. So mm-hmm. to those engines, that template tag again is parsed. It exists. You can query it, but it is not rendered right. into your DOM in a way that makes it visible. Um, okay. Now. If it is a system level screen reader, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, worth a test if if uh, somebody wants to do that and get back to us. But that's what it's for. <laughs> I mean, that's and that's there's nothing really else to say about it. It's just meant to encapsulate some HTML that you intend to reuse for something else on the page. It by itself it is useless. You need to use JavaScript with it for something. But you know, and I said that there was a use case that I had thought of. Um, there's a site that I was working on that has a modal on it and it used a rendered modal wrapper in the HTML. It was invisible by default, but the wrapper for it was all set up there. You could use a template tag in that situation. When you go to 
to render the the modal to the page. Somebody clicks the deal. Like it was a it was a modal tag. Uh, well, not not like a modal it, it, tag. It was just a modal okay. in the contextual sense. It's okay. a, it was a pop up window in in the page. Um, so okay. like in a div. Yeah, or something. it was just a div. So somebody would click the the contact button and the form would pop up. So you could have, but we used it for more than that. That modal was used to drive an image gallery. It was used to drive um, some detail pop-ups. So it was the same base markup. And instead, and what it would do is the page would load, we read that into JavaScript, removed it, and then used that as the clone uh, point. This would be the same okay. effect. But it would leave it in the HTML so that you didn't risk something happening in JavaScript where it, you know, threw, threw it away or the variable gets reset or whatever. Um, the, cool. the use cases on this are kind of limited, and this is why it's the last one I'm mentioning because I feel like it's probably out of all of them. Maybe the least useful one. It is interesting, mm-hmm. though, and it's it's always fun to go through and just you know, take some time. Go look through a, just a list of all the possible HTML tags and yeah. go look at RP. You know, RP is a child of that Ruby element. You know, it's kind of like using a DL or something like that. You look up, look up the mark tag. Um, mark is kind of an interesting <laughs> one for highlighting content. Um, there's all of these different tags in there that are useful. Folks, kick back for just a second. We're going to get to our sponsors and be right back with a word from our not sponsors, who is us. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Well, that was fun. I'm, I'm, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Aaron. I'll say it angrier. God, I'm great. sorry I drug you through this. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so great to know that. I, I feel like I'm more of an expert in not using things, having learned about all these additional tags that I haven't been using. Like I, I'm really, I, I, I feel like my expertise of things I haven't used has grown. But I'm glad I've been able to educate you. <laughs> well thank you all for joining us on this uh journey through expanding my expertise of things i'm not using if you've uh, got a tag here that you think we aren't using enough of and you think is especially useful but people don't pay attention to let us know drop by twitter or facebook at slash drunken ux hit us up on instagram at slash drunken ux podcast you can check in with us on slack at drunkenux.com slash slack love to see uh, if you agree or disagree did we get any of these things wrong because that is always certainly an option um, I like to think that I get them right but maybe I didn't and I we got them right you can come call we, me we, out we did it. now you're going to go back we what you're going to do is go back and listen and try to find the mistake just to call me yeah, out yeah prove us wrong <laughs> yeah don't listen to us three or four times 
and try to prove us wrong. Please don't. Stay tuned. We'll be back Stop. in February with more new episodes of the Drunken UX podcast. Until then, I want to give you one piece of advice, and that is to keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. See ya. Damn,